Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Rogue Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Pickard, thank you so much for joining us today. Our podcast was built to share stories of those who challenge the status quo and inspire others to challenge themselves, to find new paths, and today we are most certainly sharing a story that embodies that ideal. Our guest today is Hugo Tagholm, CEO at Surfers Against Sewage. It's hard to summarise how inspiring both Hugo and the organisation that he leads truly is. He's a surfer, environmentalist and hugely passionate individual around the subject of protecting our oceans and waterways so everyone both now and in the future can enjoy them. In just the last few weeks, Surfers Against Sewage made the headlines, organising a huge peaceful paddle out protest at the G7 summit in Cornwall raising much needed awareness for our oceans and the support that they need. A huge amount of what SAS does takes place out of the limelight, from beach cleans through to lobbying the government. And Hugo himself is a hugely passionate and authentic activist, and his belief in what he does is absolutely evident from the off. So let's get into this one, as it really is one of our favorite recordings so far. Episode 46 of the Rogue Monkey Podcast. Hugo Tagholm, creating a voice for our oceans. Good morning, Hugo. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, um, very well. Thanks, Kevin. Um, a beautiful morning um, here in Cornwall. Um, and yeah, really pleased to, to join you to have a chat. Fantastic. Well, I've given the listeners a little bit of an introduction, but if you can just give everyone out there a bit of a brief background as to who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm Hugo Tagholm. I'm the chief executive of Surfers Against Sewage, um, which I've been running for quite a long time now. Um, and um, I'm an environmentalist, I'm a surfer, um, and uh, this organisation sort of is the nexus of everything that I love between um, those things, those issues, um, protecting the ocean, um, being active in and around the ocean, and bringing people together. I'm a people person too. So I love to empower people, bring people together, find ways of mobilizing them and, and increasing our collective impact for the sea. So, um, so yeah, it's a sort of a dream job, one that I started back in 2008 and one that I didn't think would last this long, but it's been so much fun and continues to be. Um, and uh, we've been able to keep evolving uh, way beyond um, probably initial expectations. So it's been been a lot of fun, this ride. Um, and we're just starting this huge decade, this ocean decade. And so I'm quite excited about what's to come. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk about the future uh, in a bit, but I'm keen to kind of pick back as to where this all started because, you know, being a coastal boy myself, uh, you know, you have a natural affinity for the ocean when you grow up by it. So what's, where did this all start for you? What, you know, what was the driving force behind this passion of all things kind of ocean and conservation? Well, it's probably more sort of conservation for me. As a kid, I was just endlessly fascinated by the natural world, by the things, by the shapes, by the animals, by the the, the natural sort of artifacts around me. Um, I um, endlessly collected them, um, sort of studied them, sort of documented them, you know, um, you know, tried to find out information about the things that I found and understand them. I had collections of animals when I was young, particularly reptiles. Um, and so I was really into the natural world, um, fascinated by 
you know, great naturalists, um, people like Darwin. Um, and so it was, it was really that that, that, that that was my first passion, the environment and the natural world um, and the ocean. So, of course, my, my, I spent a lot of time by the ocean with my family in southwest France and in the southwest of England. Um, at the beginning, just, just being, you know, not, not surfing, not, not doing those things. But, you know, surfing came later and sport is my sort of other passion. So I've always loved all sorts of sports. I was a runner. Um, I love swimming, um, football, and of course, surfing too. Um, and I've surfed for a long time now. Um, I'm not a, a fantastic surfer, but I love it as much as any surfer there on planet ocean. And so I've um, been surfing for what, um, you know, 30, 30 plus years um, on all variety of crafts. You know, I surf short boards, long boards, belly boards, hand planes, body boards, whatever um and um it's a great sort of intersect between my passion for the environment and my passion for sport and and those two things are a powerful combination so that's how it sort of started for me um and i've did the normal progression probably similar to you kevin you know you, you start messing around in waves sort of just having fun as a kid and then you sort of get that thing of oh I, you know riding along waves is is sort of amazing and you get this real sort of addictive um, quality from it um, and um, yeah it's been a, an endless passion one that I think sort of in a way keeps you young keeps you on your toes keeps you thinking in a sort of slightly um, sort of challenger mentality um, and I think something's really good for that um, so yeah it's been been good and I'm really proud of what we've done at SAS over the past you know 12 years or so um, we've really been able to evolve into something I think that the country can be very proud of. Was there a tipping point where from that kind of early appreciation of all the things you mentioned there, it kind of turned into this could be a career or was there any key moments that actually translated from kind of that passion into this could actually be a role that I can forge the rest of my life in? Um, well, I, I started my career in communications in, in PR and, and then went into the charity sector um, children's charities, then environmental charities. And I've had a great journey um, along that. And I think often people talk about tipping points and they're often retrospective because it's easy retrospectively to go, oh, that was the day, that was the day that it all clicked into place. So I, I think that might be a fanciful sort of fabrication in, in, in most situations because it's it, it, it just helps explain a story. I think these things tend to be more incremental and gradual um, and, um, you know, my you know, passion for sport, surfing, the environment all sort of built up. I had involvement with SAS since back in 1991. Um, I did various things in a voluntary capacity. Um, I was interested in many other organisations too. Um, and um, and the, the, the opportunity came up in 2008 to, 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 to take the helm here. Um, and the organisation was very different back then. Um, it was one that I was very fond of um, and, and passionate about, but I think it had sort of lost some of its energy and some of its way. It, it wasn't quite sure how to take the next steps. And that's what I came in to do. Um, I turned it into a charity. I helped diversify the issues and things we, we did. And, and along this period of time, um, there's definitely been big moments when I've gone, uh, you know, this is, this is sort of incredible what we've been able to forge with the team that I've got here, which has grown from just three people when I took over to 26 people. You know, we're from a few hundred volunteers a year to now 100,000 volunteers a year, you know, to, you know, not having certain political and, and 
other platforms to speak at to having lots and lots of those. So it's been a, an amazing journey. Um, and what I always do is anchor in the sort of passion. I think that people can really feel it if you truly care about things. Yeah. Caring about things is sort of a double-edged sword anyway, because you know you, you love things so much that people can feel that, but it can also be sort of overwhelming. So you need to know how to channel those energies and find where you're going to deliver impact. So yeah, it's been a, an incremental journey and one I love. And I'd say to anyone listening, particularly young people, you know, try and find things that you love. Find those things you love that you're good at and try and get better at those. You know, you can do it. You know, people will respond to your love for things and your passion for things. And you have the time to learn about those things and really make them your skill. And, that, and that's what people should try and do. Because if you get that combination, it can be a really potent thing. Um, and it can take you down a career path that feels not like work every day. It can feel overwhelming because there's less divide between your working day and your personal interests but it's in an amazing ride. I listened to a, an interesting discussion. I think it was with a, a, a free surfer and she was talking about like the, the, the kind of journey she'd been on and how her passion has become her career. And she said, I've never worked a day in my life. And I think there's a lot of people that can kind of resonate with that because actually the system, if you like, traditionally has probably said, you must do this and you must do this and you must do this. And we're actually in an age now where you've got hugely successful people like yourself turning around and saying, no, 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 Hey, yes, you, you have to pay the bills, but there's no there's no way, no reason you can't pay the bills doing something that every morning you want to get out of bed for, and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting paradox too because you, with that model, you also also comes at a different um, pressure, which is it can be all consuming, and it, it, it you're 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 often particularly in the journey that I've had with SAS you know I've had to forsake a lot of times that I could have been in the water I've had to forsake a lot of personal freedom to really build this thing and to make sure it's successful and that's meant time away from the family times I've had to drive away from the beach to get behind my desk to to build the next part of what we're going to do and I think you know, I know you've interviewed various people along, along the years and that entrepreneurial spirit is, is something that I truly believe in. It's so exciting, but it's, it's something that you need a lot of energy for. You've got to make a lot of sacrifices around. Um, you get to do what you love and you get to meet people that you love um, to work with, you know, inspirational characters, heroes, all of those things. But, um, but it takes a lot of sacrifice too. And it's one of the funny sort of paradoxes here. You know, I'm, you know, you know, five minutes over the headland there, there's, there's pretty good waves at the moment and there's probably half a dozen people in the water. Um, but, um, but you can't always get in. You can't always be in the water if you're working around the thing you love. You can't always be actually doing that. You know, whether you're, a, you know, working in, you know, I don't know, a football NGO or a surfing NGO, you won't always be surfing or playing football. You'll be doing stuff that's connected to it. And some of that stuff will be super exciting. And other stuff will be the the mundane backdrop that no one sees that you have to do to get the exciting stuff off the ground. Um, and uh, it's a, an interesting sort of, you know, combination, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I, I love what I do and I've got to, you know, I've got to work with and, and, and work alongside and meet, you know, people that I've admired for years, you know, David Attenborough, uh, you know, the, the top elite surfers, um, you know, environmentalists and campaigners at the, the highest level. You know, I've got to work with interesting politicians. If I don't, I may not always agree with them, 
but being you know able to influence and talk to you know, the most senior politicians in the country is you know a privilege um, and then you know even the the, the 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 sort of shining light we've had from things like the um you know our royal patronage and the association with the royal wedding have been amazing you know and that's come because we're delivering great impact but also very real and true and authentic because we really stick to what we're what we say we're going to do and that's um that's important yeah authenticity i think really is key and i don't know about you i can remember getting my uh, a level or college timetable and then the tide timetable and working out every single week looking at the charts jason and they couldn't under, a lot of people can't understand it and they go what do you mean you're going to miss this and that and the other and i go well you know there's offshore and you know there's a decent swell running and they didn't get it and i think that's something that regardless of whether it's you know sport or business or whatever it is you're going into finding that relatively early and it looks like just looking obviously at the journey you've been on your your passion in everything you've moved through has actually shaped something that like you say it's authentic it's not just hey look at this this is great this is like i absolutely believe in what me and the team have built here and actually yeah. you bring people along for the journey with you because they're captivated by your passion and interest yeah well look i try you know like i've you know i've always been a you know people person as i said before and you know really you know enjoy bringing people together and seeing them do a great job I enjoy seeing my team evolve here and empowering them and, and, and giving them the opportunity to shine I've loved seeing we've had amazing regional reps come through our programs um, and go off and like become you know as it were hugely impactful um, and successful or, or even recognized in their own lives you know some have gone on to have great sort of media profiles as influencers um, others have gone on to do amazing scientific things um, and that's that's something i'm very proud of we've run events that i've seen ping off in multiple directions new ngos um, you know new thinking in our sector we did a great event back in 2015 the global wave conference and the number of tendrils that have gone off from that in terms of other people picking up this this mantle has been incredible so I'm so proud of, of of some of the things that I've seen that have been created as a result of the, the, the passion of SAS. Um, and that's really what you want to do in life. I mean, if there's one thing we can all do in life is, is, is help inspire other people because we have a, you know, finite shelf life on this planet, all of us, you know, and that's, 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 that's fine. That's good. You know, we're here to, to make that count, but the way you can really live on is by, inspiring people who go off and remember that pearl of wisdom wisdom remember those nuggets that you you shared remember that support you gave them remember that you know the the, the sort of advice and counsel you were able to provide and all of that is good and so your energy sort of flows on and so I think it's really important to 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 sort of bear that in mind and I often think about it when I I get lots of emails from young people and people looking for support and advice and jobs. And I think about it through the prism of my son, actually, Darwin, who's 13 tomorrow, and think about him going to people he might be inspired by, whether that's at the moment graffiti artists, skateboarders, whatever, and the sort of advice that I'd like him to be able to pick up from them. So I try and I try and make time for those conversations and to give support to on, a, in, on an informal basis, you know. Um, so, um, it's um, yeah I think it's really important so on an, an impact point of view I mean I want to talk a little bit around some of the stuff that SAS does one of the things that's jumped out at me growing up by the coast and now sadly not living by the coast 
I've watched over the last, say, 20 years to a point where people that have no affinity to surfing, you know, fishing or whatever it is, but never have done anything what I would call coastal related, but they grew up yeah. by the sea, posting on their social media, hey, taking part in this week's beach clean and stuff like that. And when yeah. you see stuff like that, that's when you realize this isn't just because you know, people assume Cornwall is surfing. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the kind of, it gets bottlenecks being down there. But actually, you know, there's a huge group of people that have kind of spread out around the country and are kind of carrying this message. And it's just really nice to see, like I say, the, the change in narrative because before it had been this yeah. tiny little group, whereas now it's, in my mind, like Joe Public by the coast actually are aware of what they're doing and the impact that they're having. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, there's been... There've been many sort of factors, and as I say, you know, even in you know the whole public awareness, the media awareness, the political awareness about ocean issues um, and environmental issues have grown massively. You know, since two thousand and eight, when I took took over, um, you know, it, so much has changed. I mean, we're in a like unrecognizable world in in many ways, um, and we're certainly in, in a sort of an unrecognizable form now as an organisation compared to. Um, to the early days, we retained the sort of best stuff, you know, in terms of our character and our connection with the ocean. But the model has, has progressed sort of so much in terms of engaging people. And I see the, the surfing thing as a sort of an interesting sort of part of it, because, you know, I think we can honestly say, as with any other demo, demographic section of society, you know, not all surfers are environmentalists. And actually, it's only a, a small minority that truly are. They may be in the environment. They may be around the environment, but they're not necessarily taking environmental action. But I see what we do as using surfing and the experience of being in touch with the sea as a way to motivate and inspire people to do more and to use our privilege, because it is a privilege to be able to go surfing. It's not part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's, it's, a, it's a real luxury. And it, it, it's something that... Um, you know, we should use to, 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 to try and create positive change. And, and that's what we do here. Um, you know, there, there's, there's question marks about how many people participate, but if we can inspire with it, just as lots of brands use surfing to market what they do, I think we can be, a, a, as it were, a small group of people, but powerful group of people um, to inspire the whole world with, with our mission. You know, surfers and other water, you know, users, um, basically um, using their experience to, um, to protect beaches and the ocean for everyone. And that's what we need to do because the beach and the ocean is for everyone. It's not just for a, a, a minority of locals at a spot. It's not just for, um, you know, just for a select crew. It's for, for everyone. The, the ocean is our life support machine on, on this planet and we all have a stake in it. Um, it's good for, you know, well, it's our life support and it's good for our mental and physical well-being and we need to make sure that everyone can participate in protection so it's got to be an inclusive movement we're in a, an age of diversity um, and um, we've got to make sure that we reach out to everyone to be part of of, of what's happening in this decade because this is the ocean decade and in my mind Kevin you know this is this is a, a hugely exciting time this is the environmental time this is the environmental decade and what happens over the next few years will set our course for, for winning our sustainability sort of battle on this planet. You know, this year we've got the G7 summit in Cornwall, we've got the COP15 um, conference and summit in China in May, we've got the COP26 summit in, um, and conference in September, uh, no, November. 
And all of these things, huge decisions are going to be made. So we've got to unite people's voice behind um, a need to, to do better because business as usual on the planet is, 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 is killing life on earth, you know, um, which, is, which is sad, but we've got still so much to protect, to restore, to celebrate and to be hopeful about. And that's what we're here to do, to take people on a positive journey. Well, to give us, I guess, a couple of examples, I mean, I've already mentioned the beach clean, but can you just give us a couple of examples of like projects that are built and, you know, uh, spread, you know, all around the world in terms of engaging people in taking some form of action? Yeah, look, um, I um, need to sort of talk first about um, sort of the water quality issue because we've, we, we went through and my predecessors in the 90s had a, you know, a, 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 a sort of a really successful time um, working on the, the then single issue of, of sewage pollution and did a great job, you know, the you know, ca initial campaigners, um, you know, alongside massive bits of legislation and pressure that was already there on the water companies, affected real change. And it was good to see that that change, um, you know, water companies had to spend a lot of money on, on their systems um, when they were privatized in 1989 and the 90s was an era of that happening. That was the first wave of sewage pollution. You know, now we're in the second wave and that particularly impacts our rivers, but still impacts our coastline. And we've pioneered a lot of work and campaigning around this with our safer sea service, tracking and monitoring sewage pollution along our coastline and increasingly now on our rivers. Um, we've um, we've been lobbying and campaigning in Parliament on this issue um, for a long time about combined sewer overflows and how they impact um, people and the planet. And now we're in this really important decade of, of, of environmentalism. And it's also the decade of uh, ecosystem restoration. And, and we've, got to, we've got to look at that. Um, and we've got to look at the, our rivers as part of that. Because our rivers aren't from our coastline. You know, I serve in lots of places that have rivers going onto them, um, rivers that have sewer overflows discharging into them. And what we see is that we need a, a huge amount of action for our water and freshwater systems um, now. You know, just as, just as we had the first wave of action in the 90s on sewage pollution, we need much more to happen now. In 2019, um, water companies discharged um, 1.5 million hours of sewage pollution into our rivers. And these should be the blue arteries of our country. You know, these should be the, the focal point of ecosystem restoration. These should be, um, you know, the corridors that link wildlife between every part of the country. These should be the blue spaces that people can use for their health, um, both their mental health and their physical well-being. Um, these, um, of course, were places, our rivers, where we built our towns, cities and villages because of the benefits they brought. So how dare we pollute them to such an extent from sewage and agriculture and other sources. And so for me, um, I often sort of think back from where I'd like to be in 2013, whether I'll be at SS or not is another question. I, I probably won't be, but we look back from 2013, what do we wanna see? We wanna see our rivers thriving again, connecting our wild spaces, connecting people, um, giving the benefits that they should do, flourishing with biodiversity in life, but also home to the sports that people now do that they didn't do back in 1990 when we were founded, you know, stand up paddleboarding, you know, wild swimming, um, you know, kayaking and doing all of the things that people are doing in abundance now. Um, and those rivers then connect to the places we surf, um, the place I surf on the south coast and the north coast of Cornwall, places around the country that are home to incredible waves. And so it's not 
fresh water or salt water. It's not rivers or ocean. This is one water system that needs protecting. These are habitats that are important for biodiversity, but also human diversity and human experiences. And that's that's what I'd sort of like to see. And we're really on the on the, the leading edge of that now. We've got a, a big piece of um, water quality legislation we're trying to sort of push through with the the, um, the sewage inland waters bill. We've got uh, 130 MPs backing that already. Um, we've got um, our water quality report that comes out every year that puts huge pressure on the water companies. This is important because let's not assume that what happened in the 1990s is enough. It's not enough. The water companies didn't clean up their act to the extent that they claim, and they need to do much, much more. And these are companies that are making billions of pounds in dividends for their shareholders. That's not good enough. That should be dividends put back into the environment to protect that environment for our children and our children's children, because the environment can't just be traded down until it's until it's dead. We need to restore it now. Do you think the obviously the situation of the last like year and a half with you know all the, the the COVID implications of people actually going out and spending probably a lot more time outside, whether they had a massive environmental experience previous to that? that now actually they go, oh, I didn't realise that river was there. Cool, that water quality doesn't look great. Or they've started wild swimming or going to the lakes yeah. and doing open water swimming. Do you think that's going to almost supercharge the movement? I think we need to, I think we need to be cautious about, about expectations uh, on what's going to happen in, in, the, in the coming months and the coming years. Um, listen, our, our, we're a, we're a, we're a, an organization that is fueled by the movement of people around us. You know, I'm so proud of every volunteer, every supporter that's worked with us, every campaigner that's taken action with us. I mean, over the, the time I've been here, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have taken action with us and contacted MPs, attended beach cleans, done grand audits, uh, challenged water companies with us, all sorts of different things. You know, come on climate marches. You know, we're really proud of that. And there's a massive movement and every action is important. We're going to, it looks like we're coming to the end of this, 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 this part of the pandemic. We don't quite know what's going to happen, but it feels already palpably different out there. The vaccines are working, um, you know, infection and death rates and hospitalizations are going down. And of course, it's still at the front of everyone's mind, that immediate impact of, of, of protecting each other, protecting the NHS um, and, and doing what we need to do. But the environmental sort of movement um, has been awakened in, in different ways as a result of this. People understand that they need the environment and they're part of it more because they've been locked up in the house. I'm lucky down here. I, I still get to walk by the up by the beach and see the beach but but many people are trapped and may just have their local park to to go to but um we're also gonna we've got a lot, a lot of pent-up demand in society now of what people want to do you know and and there is a risk now of a a, a real phase however long that will go for of hedonism because people are people are tired people are separated people want fun connection they want to party um, they want to get out there and see the world and so we don't know what the the reaction to this huge action we've had for the last 12 months will be and this to sort of come back to my 
you know, proper point is that individual actions are really, really important. And so, you know, we're seeing a, a phase and there have been sort of good things. You know, people are traveling less, you know, they're flying less, they're consuming potentially less in certain ways, consuming more in other ways. But um, but um, we need to be careful about the, the the systems we operate in, because actually it's governments and businesses that control those. We're all trapped in a carbon system. We're all trapped in a plastic system. We're trapped in an economic system. And it is important that we use movement building to influence legislation and systems around us, because that's where real change happens. Because unless governments are bold in what they do on carbon emissions, on plastic production, on the protection of nature and the enforcement of the protection of nature, our individual actions will have a limited impact and there will be, as it were, moving deck chairs around on the Titanic. We need to make sure that we are forcing now governments to take action and in some ways really radical and and quite outlandish action to, 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 to create a more sustainable future. Let's not forget that what we've been through, Kevin, with the, the pandemic, just 12 months ago, we would never have dreamt that some of the things we do, do or can't do today would have been possible. You wouldn't have probably dreamt that you wouldn't be able to see your friends and family, go to the pub, get on the train to London, um, do certain things. You know, it would have been inconceivable. You'd have gone, absolutely not. Um, it will never happen. You know, I'll never live those restrictions, but we do live those restrictions. We can't go to shops, can't, can't see anyone. You know, so it's, it's a really bizarre time. So who knows what we're capable of, of understanding moving forward and what changes we will accept for the good of the planet. Um, because what we don't want to go into is carbon lockdowns. We don't want to go into rationing. We don't want to go into things that could come if we don't take action. And I think it's important for us to consider that now. It's, it's why all of these conferences are so important to set the goals and the, the, the frameworks at the top level that we can all start to operate within because, because the public alone can't be responsible for what's happening. The big, big businesses and government decisions really need to set that framework. Because if they didn't, other things would still be happening. We'd still probably be smoking in pubs. People would be still probably drinking, yeah. not wearing their seatbelts, polluting the environment with toxins that have been banned years ago. So all sorts of things need legislation and enforcement for them not to happen anymore. If not, business will always find the easiest route, and so will the public. And we've got to be careful of that. You talked a little bit there about that the, we wouldn't have been able to dream where we are, say, 12 months ago sitting here now and having experienced the last 12 months whether or not you're still involved in 2030 in charge of SAS what would be your dream to, to see it get to wherever it gets to well look, we've got 10-year goals um you know I'm, I'm the custodian for the moment and I'm very proud to be so and I've got lots of fuel in the tank to create change here but you know in 2030 I'd like to look back and say we've got um, bathing waters on our rivers. We've, our river water quality has improved endlessly. We've got um, um, returning biodiversity to the blue arteries of our country. Single-use plastic pollution has been reduced in, you know, massively, if not eliminated from our beaches. 30%, um, as is the global call of our ocean, is not just protected, but highly protected and enforced as well. Um, and then, of course, that we've taken the necessary action on climate change to, to limit the impacts, which is, you know, stuff we're working on um, this year in, in concert with so many other organisations and entities around the world. So looking back from 2030, I think we need to be 
really sort of hopeful. Um, I think people can get quite demoralized quite quickly and they need to understand that actually big campaign and uh, big campaign success takes years to deliver. It's not overnight. You know, we can't just go and, you know, board up combined sewer overflows. We can't just tell, you know, Coca-Cola never to produce a plastic bottle again today. We need a materials, a systems change. We need investment. We need the right sort of thinking. And it, it takes time to deliver. And I'm proud of what we've already been able to deliver, you know, new legislation, enforced legislation, reductions in plastic by billions of items, action on sewage. Um, you know, already we've been, you know, behind the investment of, of so much of, of the, the action that's been um, been put in place on, on water quality. So, you know, I'd like to look back and see a much more vibrant and sort of positive water environment than we have today. And I think we've got everything to be hopeful for. Um, sorry to ramble on, but, um, you know, if we look at our planet, planet ocean, and how incredible it is, and then we look at how excited people are to go to Mars and the rover that's just landed on Mars, that's looking for sort of microbes in the soil on a dry and arid and life or seemingly lifeless planet and how incredibly excited the, the scientists are behind that, the, um, the amount of money that's gone into it. I mean, if we landed on a planet like Earth in the state it is today, we do everything we could to protect it in that state and revive it. So let's not forget what we've got right underneath our feet every day. It's, it's an amazing place. And there's a lot of hope and a lot of opportunity to restore this planet. Well, I was going to ask what you, if you had a, a closing message, because we have so many different sports engaged with the, the podcast and, you know, coaches, athletes and teams all around the world. Yeah. Um, many of whom as hobbies do so many of these adventure sports. So I was going to say, what was your closing message to everybody out there? But I think that kind of pulls it together quite nicely. Well, look, I, I think, you know, I think everyone should be, you know, looking at, at what they can do and finding their sort of channel. Um, you know, some people love, you know, beach cleans and, and taking part in sort of plastic brand audits. Some people love challenging MPs. Um, you know, some people love just, you know, thinking about their personal footprint, whether that's the diet they have or the, you know, the, the carbon footprint they have. And, and that's, that's, that's all good. You know, everything should be sort of commended, but let's, Let's all sort of act in unison. You know, this isn't a decade where it's all about personal responsibility. This is about a decade where we unite to call for change in everything around us um, to protect the beautiful beaches, the amazing rivers and the environment that we've, we've got because um, we live on an incredible planet and planet ocean um, um, is something worth protecting. Fantastic. Hugo, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been great. And we'll make sure we include all the different messages, you know, the links and all that so people can kind of follow up and actually, like you say, take action. But thank you for your time this morning. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, Hugo. Where to start with a summary of that conversation? I'm probably biased as I grew up by the sea and spent a lot of time at the coast and have seen firsthand so many of the issues that SAS are campaigning against. And like Hugo said, everyone has a role to play. So this summer, when you head to the beach, as you leave, if you walk past a plastic bottle, pick it up and pop it in the recycling. Over 100 million beach visits are expected to take place in the UK this summer. And that coupled with every person taking a single positive action will really add up. We've included a link to Surfers Against Sewage 
as well as the various social media pages in the show notes. So please be sure to check those out and some of the amazing work that they are doing. If you want to hear more from Hugo, his inspiring TED Talk is also linked in the show notes. Next week, we've got another trailblazer as we speak to professional golfer Alice Hewson, one of the first women to play at Augusta and a true role model for aspiring female athletes. Keep up to date on all our podcast news by following us on social media, subscribing to our YouTube channel and signing up to our monthly community update, the links for which you'll find in the episode description. Have a wonderful week and thanks again for joining us for episode 46 of the Road Monkey Podcast.